Hello, and welcome back to the Proof of Coverage podcast. My name is Connor Lovely, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Mahesh Ramakrishnan of Escape Velocity Ventures. Today, we had the distinct pleasure to have a conversation with John Dogru, the co-founder and CEO of the 3DOS Network. The 3DOS Network is a decentralized network of 3D printers worldwide, and John's 3D printing software is used on over 70,000 of them. So he's looking to basically roll up all of these 3D printers in a permissionless way and allow them to join a network that can accept 3D printing jobs from anywhere in the world and then deliver goods locally to the end consumer. So John is really looking to democratize manufacturing and this is you know, one of the most interesting use cases of token incentives in blockchain technology that we've seen to date. Mahesh, over to you. John, so it's great to have you here on the podcast today. You know, 3DOS is doing some of the most interesting stuff in the space right now. But before we get to that, I want to talk about aliens. Because at the end of the day, you know, the Mexican Congress unboxed some aliens a couple of weeks ago. Every day I see more and more sightings, more and more UFOs being seen, more and more weird stuff out there in the world. What do you think? You know, I think maybe a few, you know, four or five years ago, I would be a person that wouldn't believe things. I'm very scientific. But, you know, yesterday I saw an interview with a Stanford professor who had some things they had found and they did analysis and it was made out of materials that are not really easily readily available around here. And it looked like it was 3D printed. So, you know, for <laughs> all we know, we are the aliens here. And, you know, the technology, like if you look at the technology curve, it's just gone exponential in our lifetime. So, you know, I think we are the aliens on this, on the earth that we don't understand. And, you know, some of the technologies we're undercoming, maybe they're from other worlds, but definitely I'm starting to believe that we reverse engineering some of this stuff because it's shocking how quickly we've progressed. So I'm becoming more and a more uh, believer and, and uh, yeah, I mean, everything we could imagine is starting to happen. So it's, it's pretty profound, you know. Are you suggesting that 3D OS might've been created by aliens? Is that what's going on here? Well, I think that, you know, if they're finding these artifacts that have these layer by layer of these interesting atomic structures, and we're doing that now, right? We're, we're starting to even atomic level 3D print things layer by layer. You know, it's not too far-fetched to say that maybe some other civilization had figured this out before us and we're just figuring it out. So, you know, when you know, some people look at 3D printers initially, I think it's alien technology. You know, it looks like a Terminator. You've got a tub of uh, liquid solution, lasers shining in it, and an entire bumper comes out, right? Or an entire a mold comes out. So, you know, fantasy and reality are starting to merge. That's definitely really interesting, man. But you are the founder of 3D OS. You did invent it yourself, right? Yeah, so we started, you know, you know, when 3D printers first came out, they were interesting, but they weren't really readily available. They weren't easy to access till about 10 years ago when the maker bots and you had these desktop sized printers. And so it reminded me of computers 40 years ago. You know, they were very crude, Commodore 64, CPM, Radio Shack. And so it really intrigued me that you can go from a digital design and you can make something physical in seconds, right? That's just a new thing that hasn't been around, the ability just to upload a design and print it at home. So we got really intrigued at that time it was in Estonia. And so we started connecting all these 3D printers online. You know, we, we thought 3D printers are best used as a shared resource. Just like when you access a server today, you log into a web browser, you don't have servers under your desk or bolts and BBSs. And so we started connecting these 3D printers 10 years ago and it started to grow at the top universities like Duke, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Berkeley top 100 universities and now students can just click print and make it locally. That's awesome. I mean, before we, we get into any decentralization or crypto aspects of the conversation, I just want to get a, a quick update from you on 
where the 3D printing space is at today? Because you're, you're obviously an expert on it. I think you touched briefly on some of the latest developments in that you can you can 3D print things on an atomic level. But I've just you know heard about the industry from the outside as a layman for years. The latest I've heard is like you can I mean you can print a lot of things, including like weapons, and there's some safety concerns around that. But also just like you know is is demand for 3D printing picking up? Is the technology advancing? I mean, I think the, the atomic thing you said would hint at that. But yeah, where's the 3D printing space kind of at today, would you say? Sure, great. So for the last 20, 30 years, it was predominantly for prototyping and not end-use parks. And there was two major companies, 3D Systems and Stratasys, which owned the two dominant technology patents. And once those expired, it just unlocked a lot of new capabilities because people would start making machines cheaper, and, you know, what used to be a $2 million machine became a $200,000 machine, became a $20,000 machine, became a $2,000 machine. So the, the cost is going down. The capabilities are going up, right? So just like in the back in the day, you have a Cray computer, right? Very few people had access to that. So the, the accessibility of the machines at a lower cost point is increasing dramatically. Also, a big Titanic shift recently happened where it was predominantly for prototyping. And just last week, Apple is looking to move forward to build a new Apple Titanium watch with 3D printing at a cost lower than traditional manufacturing. Traditional manufacturing is really two predominant technologies, subtractive like CNC. They take a block of aluminum titanium, they shave it down, they take all those scraps, they have to melt, you know, melt it again, put it to another block. Now additive 3D printing is you're putting dot by dot in the order you want. So less waste, and the cost of the machines are going down. So that was a big shift. And I don't know if you heard Tesla last week is announcing 3D printing the car chassis. So it's really changing quickly. And you know, they're 3D and what 3D printing really is, it's a fancy way to say robot in a box, right? Automation. And some 3D printers have ability to 3D print it, metal, like a propeller, you're in a Navy ship. And then second pass to make it smooth will be a CNC. So Ability to use less material, have one machine, and instead of retooling the machine, which could take months and millions of dollars, you've got the same machine that can make infinite types of things. And, you know, they are able to start making things very small. There's a company that can make an entire castle on the head of a pen of a of a pencil, right? So the resolution is getting extremely high as well. So really um it's it's changing very quickly. A predominant 20 year prototyping technology is now going to end use parts. So this is, you know, we're, we're at an interesting time, like the early computers. Yeah, this is what I love about technology is like you, you blink your eyes and a couple of years go by and then the, the, the core tech itself has advanced so far beyond what you could have imagined. I mean, I had no idea that, I mean, that, that 3D printers could use different materials. I had no idea that, that Apple's going to make their new watch from, from a 3D printing process. I mean, from a first principles point of view, I think it does make a lot of sense if you're like layering on material versus carving out of a block, it would, it would be more efficient, like all SQL. So that's, that's all super interesting. My next kind of, I guess, question or, or thing I'd like to talk about is that we've all heard of drop shipping. So where, where the seller never really handles the inventory or the good that's sold. It, it seems to me that you all are basically like drop manufacturing in the sense that the seller doesn't necessarily have to manufacture or hold the inventory or the good before it's delivered to the, the end consumer. So if you could just talk a bit about 3DOS, I guess 3D printer OS first, and then the, its evolution to 3DOS. And I've got a couple of follow-up questions for you there. 
Yeah. So very high level, what we're trying to achieve is very simple. How do we reduce the latency between design and manufacturing? So that was 3D printer OS. And the idea was if we can take this close to zero, it, it would accelerate scale very quickly. And that's what happened. So I'll give you an example. When we first started piloting, we had to find a guinea pig and it was Duke University. And they were one of the first universities that had 10 printers, 10 students. Every time the 10 engineers wanted to print, they would have to go to an admin that only knew how to use all the machines. And this creates a scaling problem. That admin then has to interpret, compile, walk over to the machine with a USB stick, or go back to the engineer saying, look, you haven't designed it for additives because you have to also design for the machine, which means you just can't build an overhang that goes like this. You know, parts need to grow organically. It looks like alien technology and over 45 degrees. So after they installed 3D Printer OS, today Duke has 7,000 students, the entire campus, and 200 printers with two admins, right? And the admins don't have to touch the files at all. The students can just log into the web browser, live time, see if 3D printer that's available on a web camera, upload, compile, prepare, slicing it's called, and push print. So we proved at all these universities now, MIT, Google's a client of ours too, you know, they're 45 location. And then we can log, log into the web browser, they have an idea, and at the speed of light, they could send that part to the machine. So first chapter was how to reduce the latency between design and manufacturing. And in the design space, there's lots of innovative things happening with AI, right? Take your CAD. You can take a five-minute course online and make your first part, or you can just download from inventories like Thingiverse. So this part we've brought to close to zero and we saw hyperscaling. So now we had 70,000 printers in these localized areas, just like how Facebook started in, in you know, Harvard, MIT, we proved that. Now the next chapter is, once you've manufactured for yourself, how do you go from manufacturing to distribution? So that's 3D OS. So you've made something for yourself, you've made you know, a bottle or something, and you put it on your TikTok, and now you don't wanna to have to make it yourself, you want it to scale elastic, anyone in the world. So now we wanna take this to the speed of light, which is means that from 3D Pro OS, we're gonna onboard all those customers to start with the 3D OS, and any of them in a second can click distribute, edit, whether it's on Facebook, Amazon, you know, any NFT website, anywhere you can imagine, as soon as someone hits buy, so if it's in Africa, if it's in Egypt, they can instantly find a printer. We find a printer for them, just like Uber for manufacturing. And that person that has idle capacity can also make money as well. So this is the, the next chapter and it's a much bigger chapter. It's a much bigger market opportunity. I had a gentleman that actually started using our software last week and he was 3D printing cookie cutters during COVID and he was making like $2,000 extra money a month. Last month, he used 3D Printer OS, and now he wants to move to 3D OS. He's making these dragons, and he did 17 grand. He bought seven printers, and now he's coming to us saying, John, I bought seven printers, but I can't just keep buying 14 or, or 200, right? So for a person that's created something, they could instantly go to 3D OS, and now in an elastic manner, we can find capacity around the world. Using some light AI and ML, we can route to the closest printer and execute and you know, we've kind of learned this with like Bitcoin, right? You can have all these mining rigs. So think of the 3D printer as a system that can do work and create parts. So this is very exciting because I'm seeing all these micro factories pop up now. Right. And so I guess to, to take us end to end through a yeah. potential use case would be, it sounded like you were talking about e-commerce. So if, if someone uploads a design, say for like a widget to, to 3DOS, it's, it's basically memorialized or encoded as an NFT so that that uh, designer can receive royalties in the future if their design's used. 
And then, you know, say the design for the widget is, is purchased by someone in Miami, Florida, that order would get routed to the closest 3D printer on the three dots network and then print it out, like created. And, and then it would be, you know, much closer to me than if I had bought it and it was, you know, being shipped across the ocean from China, for instance. So that is that kind of an end to end potential use case? Yeah. So kind of like email disrupted mail, you know, three DOS disrupts, you know, manufacturing. So customs, taxes, tolls, intercont, even if you're able to manifest these designs on the right continent, it's a huge win. And it, and, and the bigger the network gets, the closer you can get within proximity where someone can just walk over your house, just like DoorDash, you know, you can decide to walk over to the house and pick it up, or, you know, you can do local postage, or at least it's in your state, right? Uh, versus always coming from China, going to a warehouse, and then from the warehouse, you're paying the cost to store in the warehouse. You got to, you have to predict how much inventory you need. A lot of times, a lot of goes to waste. And then you have too much inventory. Then you have to burn that inventory. And so this is completely elastic. There's no waste. It's only made when it's purchased. And we can in real time understand how many of these things can be made at one time, right? So the system will get smarter and smarter. So there's an AI component to this too. Being able to route, being able to like also maybe adjust costs, you know? Right. I mean, this, this idea seems to make an incredible amount of sense. It also seems pretty novel. You know, I don't think I've heard of, of any other companies like working on anything similar. Obviously there's, there's 3d printing companies and, and you are one of the co-founders of 3d printer OS, which is the, the operating system. A lot of these 3d printers use. So you've got kind of like the, the subject matter expertise and industry expertise there. But yeah, I mean, ha have you heard of other companies doing something similar? Like would they even have anything close to the scale that you all would have coming from like the traditional 3D printing space? I'm curious about that. Yeah, I think predominantly the focus has been on hardware, you know, making the next, you know, Seagate or Western digital drives and making it reliable. Think of like computers or, you know, 3D printers as hard drives, right? So there's been a lot of focus on that. And a lot of OEMs want to build the full stack of software. So they want to sell you their printer, their cloud solution. But we're like the only company that's been able to successful back engineering all these machines to work in an agnostic way. And so that's been a real upward battle because, you know, a lot of times the hardware companies know that they, they're going to turn to a $50 hard drive, right? And the software, the Microsoft of the world, which is what we want to become, will be where the revenue is, right? We're connecting all the dots. But it's an extremely difficult thing to do, you know, and I've done some very difficult things like full automated manufacturing at Dell, you know, the computer industry, like building pretty advanced things at scale. So there's been other people have tried it, but I think we're the only ones that have 70,000 real-time printers that are in the top 100 universities, 12 million CAD files and, you know, across, you know, the most variety of desktops. Yeah. And we've had to, unfortunately had to crack their firmware my background's hacking. So we had to kind of do this because my engineers are fast. By the time I get to the CEO and get them to agree to create an API, our guys have already cracked the machines and put them online. And that's what the customers love, right? So, but we're seeing that, you know, like Flash Forge printers, the Bosch Dremel printer, number one in PC Magazine has our software embedded. So we think the OEMs will flip because if I can give a piece of software that allows any other customers to plug into the wall and start making money, they're going to, they're going to buy more of their printers. It's really interesting, John, and uh, it seems like you've put together a mousetrap that, you know, whether you want to call big tech incumbents or a lot of the startups, no one has really put together what you have here. Uh, I'd be curious if you don't mind answering, like, what are the couple of things that you think you did so differently than everyone else along the way? 
that has manifested in this, you know, 70,000 strong printer network where no one else has been able to come anywhere close. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started this, we're trying to get anyone to pilot it, right? And I think without understanding, you know, what would stick first, everyone's like, you got to just drop all the universities, go to enterprises, go to high-end margin, go for the million-dollar deals. What, what ended up happening is the university students, the new generation, these are the ones that are thinking in a, with a fresh mind, right? These are the Instagram, these are the ADD generation that wants things done fast and in a new way. So it just happened to be that while all my investors, not all, but most initially were saying, go to enterprise, go for higher margin. It was these universities, these early seeding grounds, right? That really helped us grow because all those students then go to work for Lockheed Martin, for Boeing, for, you know, Nike. And so initially, you know, it was difficult because we we're making very little money and now it's turned to a multi-million dollar business. But I think it was the university approach that helped. And now we have like John Deere, Google, U.S. Navy, Eaton, larger companies that are starting to adopt the platform. So I think that was our strategy was to embed it at all costs in the universities. And these are the smartest and brightest people. I know Mahesh, she went to Harvard, you know, so very brilliant people there. And they will give you input like that if there's anything wrong. So I think that was the other thing we did is, you know, we had like 4,000 trouble tickets every month and we were just trying to fix everything. And now it's down to four. So I think the young generation, it's a very similar strategy that Apple took and Microsoft took in the beginning, the big companies didn't believe in anything other than mainframes, right? Create computers. And so they went into the university space, those early adopters, and they started selling to universities, then K through 12. And immediately the enterprise started adopting it, right? So as a startup, you go into whoever takes the product and uses it quickest and it ended up being universities. I think that's been a winning strategy for us. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, earlier you talked about the initial goal of 3D printer OS before it was like this decentralized network idea was to, to decrease the latency between design and manufacturing. And now it seems you're moving, I guess maybe up the stack to decrease the latency between manufacturing and, and potentially even delivering the end good to the customer. Using the example we talked about earlier, if, if I'm in Miami and I order a widget and it gets printed out, 3D printed at the closest uh, 3D printer to me, are there any shipping options from that 3D printer to me so I don't have to go pick it up? Or like, what is the, the last mile scenario look like here? Yeah, the last mile will be, yeah, good, great question. So we'll be completely neutral to that. You know, it can be either picked up, you know, like DoorDash, it can be, you know, Uber Eats type delivery. We're neutral to whatever comes out there. It can be U.S. Postal Service. It can be anything, right? And if it is a U.S. Postal Service, a UPS, we can prove that it got shipped on time to quality. So the two metrics for the person making it is on time to quality. Now, for the designer, the designer must verify that I've printed it on that spec machine, exact machine, right? So just like there's Uber Blacks and, and you know, Priuses, there's different categories of vehicles or 3D printers. So once you've qualified, hey, this is going to be only made on HP 5200s, we find the nearest HP 5200. If it's a desktop printer, there's going to be a lot more of them that can make this, right? Different different quality. But you as a designer, you know, you're going to go through the iterations anyway. You're going to find the exact printer and the material that you want to use. And then our job is to locate based on those specs, those printers. And then it's up to the manufacturer and the other party to sort it out. Does he want to ship? Does he want it delivered? Just like today in eBay or Amazon, um, you know, you create a store and you can decide how you want uh, it to be delivered. Gotcha. Okay. So you'll, you'll basically, I mean, maybe facilitate some of the, the last mile 
agreements and discussions, but also just leave it open to third parties. Like in terms of storing the inventory once it's produced, we we, we and let like, the, yeah you know allowing it to yeah. be shipped out. Yeah, we let them sort that out. So we're just peer to peer, and they can communicate easily. Like we want to really automate that, so um, they can communicate. You know, just like Uber, am I going to pick you up on the corner of the street or exactly inside your cul-de-sac? Right, you can coordinate that. And then if the other guy says, "Hey, it's going to cost a little more." He can just go ahead and tell you it's going to be this much for UPS or this much for picking it up at my door. Okay. No, that's awesome. That makes sense. I, I recently I've seen the whole Uber or Lyft like package delivery as an option within the app. So I'm assuming that's kind of what you're referencing. The other question I have around logistics is how does this work at scale? So I know it's kind of like a just in time or probably even better than just in time inventory in the sense that like nothing is manufactured or produced before the sale of that good is, is consummated and finalized. But what if, say, like a large company wanted to put in like a, a thousand or five thousand unit order, and they wanted them, you know, printed all over the world, you know, within the same day, and hopefully deliver to customers then? Like, would the network be able to handle that? Is it, you know, complex enough to be able to route all those orders to various three D printers around the world? Yes, yeah, a good, great question. So, what I'm finding is, so we work with one of the largest HP three D printing factories in the world in Carlsbad, at GTN Aerospace. It was called Forecast Three D before they have. I think 24 HP printers. And with them, we cranked out 60,000 parts for GM, small parts. So it wasn't just the chip shortage. They needed some parts and they wanted to get the trucks off the assembly line. So what I found is that these people that buy these really expensive machines, you know, they may have a huge order or maybe be that micro factory that was producing those dragons with seven printers. He may have a pot product one day or a good contractor and then maybe they, they don't have any orders. So then they're struggling to find orders. So then they go to Google ads, you know, and they spend $10 a click. So we're actually helping in, in multiple ways. I think the capacity is there. It's super fragmented. I don't think that's a problem. I would love that to be a problem. And so would the printer manufacturers and we can kind of get there. But I think the biggest problem is once you have bought those 3D printers, how do you broadcast that you have capacity at a free cost, right? How do I know where all these machines are? Why doesn't the machine just have three dots inside? And as soon as you plug in the wall, you're broadcasting. Now you know how many printers you need. You also can know how many parts are available and queues and so forth. The system will become smart, just like Bitcoin mining, right? You know, if you're in a pool, you're more likely to get work than you have a Bitcoin mining rig by yourself, right? So the system can route. And I think that's the exciting part. Actually, I think there's a lot of capacity and it's, it's a difficult challenge to route it to the right capacity. And sometimes those capacities get filled up and they have to kill orders versus being able to say, you know what, I'll just gonna send some to another partner and give them a cut as well so I don't lose the business. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think when we think about Deepin as a whole in particular, this just, as Connor just texted, this makes too much sense. It makes almost too much sense at the end of the day. Like I could see a massive ecosystem emerge around this where on one end, you have people that have paid amazing amounts of money out of pocket by these printers that, you know, if they're research institutions, not the biggest companies in the world, like need to find a way to recoup some of that cost. And you can almost see this as like inventory financing in a funny sort of way for people to build the networks that they need to, to create really cool things. And I think it's amazing that you've gone after this university angle in particular first, because that's where a lot of the innovation is. So, you know, to that point, we'd love to talk a little bit about the usage today. You know, you've given us some examples along the way that have been super helpful. You know, when you think about 3OS today, let's focus on today and then we'll talk about tomorrow. But when you talk about today, what are really the biggest use cases and sort of what are the growth drivers that you see that have effectuated these outcomes? Yeah, so I'm pretty shocked with 
the amount of people interested in the product. I have all these 3D printing micro factories, people have huge printers, that, I mean, the size of cars. I mean, and I have, you know, the TikTokers, which shocked me this week is I didn't know TikTok is subsidizing $5 of shipping and you can purchase right there. So I don't know where it's going to go. We had, we had like Horitos, who's like the Mexican cola drink. It's this soda drink. They did 25 NFTs with us. It's really across the gamut. I'm really excited to, you know, get out of alpha beta and start to really open it up and see where it goes. I think it's going to be uh, a mind bender for us to see who utilize it. There's a guy in Japan that's making full color avatars and he had one machine in his house. Now he's got seven industrial machines. He had to get an office. It's just really, it's going to be an interesting journey to find out what, what, what's next. But what I do think my sense is that we're democratizing manufacturing. It's never been really manufactured in the history of the world. And when I come and look at what's really disrupted the world, you know, Blockchain is one of those things to be able to send money across any geographic boundary, right? Geographic and geopolitical. Like I sometimes have to send money to people in Ukraine through USDC, right? Like that goes straight through the banks and gets the money to the people, right? Now we're talking about being able to send parts, send, you know, 3D printing. And when you start combining some of these technologies, I think we're TikTok and some of these influencers, every influencer, even like Mr. Mr. Beast, you know, if you watch what they do is they'll, they'll spend like a million dollars on video production and they'll get a million dollars from YouTube that basically covers the cost, but they make their money selling physical products. And that usually has a huge overhead. You need to then make a guess. I'm going to make this thing. Maybe people will buy it who want, but imagine every influence in the world now has the ability with one click to sell their avatar, sell their, sell their item instantly without any overhead, any risk. And if it doesn't get purchased, it doesn't get made. So I think Combining a few of the technologies, blockchain, which like the TikToks of the world with on-demand 3D printing, it's going to really open up some things. And, you know, who knows what we will build, but it's going to just open democratize manufacturing like we've never seen it. This is what, this is what I believe. And we're starting to see that the first signs of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I think this whole idea of making people into manufacturing plants is a really big vision. And I had never thought about it in the context of influencers. I think you're spot on, which is there's so many people making living, selling gimmicks and tchotchkes on the internet right now. And, uh. Most of those are being made in China and being shipped. And, you know, there's obviously supply chain disruptions going on in the background as well. So with all of that, I could definitely sort of see uh, how this evolves into a manufacturing network that really, really gives people utility and empowers people in an amazing way. So I guess, honestly, that was so interesting, John. I'd love to get a sense of your vision for five years from now. You know, the world has evolved a lot. Maybe a lot of these technologies have come to the fore. What does the world look like? And what is 3DOS's role in it? I think kind of the, the best case scenario is to do what YouTube did for the video creator economy, right? People can create videos on YouTube and instantly go globally and monetize. And for the first time in history, you know, manufacturing is something that has a huge barrier of entry. So even if it's the tchotchkes for everybody to be able to just upload designs and sell globally, and it to be like, you know, bigger than YouTube, because if you look at our DNA, we're much more hardwired to, you know, build things or do videos versus write C++. So imagine what the web browser did for people taking a company, a digital company online, right? And Steve Jobs said that the next startups will be able to do what we do in a day, right? Anyone could create a website and start to sell worldwide. So, you know, in five years, I would really like Three Dots to be the on-demand kind of YouTube of the world. Any designer can plug in, make something, and that NFT or that blockchain contract represents so let's say Connor, Don, and Mahesh, we created this new widget. 
and we're all we're all partners. We all get you know thirty three percent split from this. That NFT now represents actual real revenue. If someone comes to Connor Mahesh says, "Hey, look, I'm going to give you guys ten million dollars for your," I can see you've done two million dollars a year in revenue and it's scaling. Now that NFT represents something real. It's not speculative, right? So, I would love it. And all your financials are there, right? I can do an audit in, in split second that you guys have sold a million iPhone cases and I want to buy your company, which represents, you know, NFT, uh, maybe more advanced NFT. So that's where Mahesh, I would like to see it. Ability for people, just like what YouTube did for the video creator economy, we want to do for the digital physical economy. It's a really big vision. And uh, I think one that resonates a lot, again, going back to this example of drop shipping. It was such a paradigm shift when Amazon launched FBA fulfilled by Amazon that made it such that, you know, all you had to do was put your good on the internet and everything else would be handled by someone else. And this is one of those kinds of things that has the potential to do something very similar, although maybe in the opposite direction, but has the end goal of really empowering people at the end of the day to become their own businesses. And I think that's a very crypto ethos type trend that we're sort of seeing across the world right now. So maybe with that, let's dive into the crypto side of this a little bit. You know, you built an amazing manufacturing network. It's maybe still in the early stages of hyperscaling and becoming completely national, although you are, are already global. You know, there's a crypto angle to this as well, right? You, you've talked a little bit about becoming a decentralized physical infrastructure network. I think on the basis of this conversation, it's hopefully pretty clear to our listeners that there's a really interesting supply demand problem to be solved here. And there's an amazing framework to get people that, you know, have idle resources to get paid to use those resources. So would love to sort of talk to you a little bit about the crypto angles here. You know, one of them is this NFT marketplace where if I understand it right, I as a designer can upload any design that can be automatically executed on a 3D printer onto a marketplace or onto a platform. Mm -hmm. And then anyone can acquire those NFTs in order to manufacture the designs that I've created. And then the second part of this, that was the NFT part. The second part of this is that you're thinking about, and, and probably going to launch very soon, the idea of a token incentivized network alongside this as well, right? Where the people that are actually providing the resources, i.e. the printers, are getting paid in tokens in order to do that. Am I understanding that right? Are there any angles that I'm missing? Anything else you wanted to cover on the crypto side? Yeah. So I think, you know, if we start back from what we learned with crypto, I think there's two key things. One is resilience and efficiency, hyper-efficiency. So the resilience is interesting because as you know, every centralized exchanges, they can go down, but you know, decentralized, I mean, maybe the, the tires were slower, the gas fees are high, but it didn't go down, right? Like they just, Ethereum just kept moving forward. So I think the resilience is pretty amazing that it really can't be taken down because it's not centralized. I think it's very important because if we're going decentralized, every political or geographic boundary is disrupted. So that's the one. Number two is the efficiency. The ability to send USDC at the speed of light, right? Is, is amazing. It's just, it's mind blowing to me, right? It, you can get things to the side of the planet and then also the incentive structure. So the incentive structure is interesting as well because you want to reward good, good, good behavior. So if you're on time to quality, just like if you go to Amazon, of course those can be spooked, but on the blockchain, it's really hard because like you've got provenance. I know that Mahesh created some amazing toy. I bought to buy it from Mahesh. I know that I paid Mahesh. He's the designer and I got a built-in India, and I know it came from Mahesh because it shows it on the blockchain, right? Proving provenance. So I think these are like very powerful things from all the experiments that have been running on blockchain that can help us go fully decentralized. Because when you look at two sides of the spectrum, you have Alibaba, which is very centralized and has almost no designer royalties, right? As soon as you create something on Alibaba, a million people will start to sell it. And then on the other side, we have 3DOS, which is fully decentralized 
with designer IP needs in hand. You know, of course, assume everything can be copied, but we found out with Napster is that, you know, before Napster, people were buying 12, the entire, you know, 12 tracks on a CD, but they only wanted one. So people naturally went to Napster because they just wanted one track. And Steve Jobs said, you know, if you can make it easy and efficient, people don't mind paying a dollar. Like, you know, I don't download hack movies anymore. You know, I buy my, I buy my music for a dollar. It's just easy and it's efficient, right? So I think when you combine all of those and the, you know, the resilience of blockchain and the efficiency and the ability to protect the IP and the decentralization, when that comes together, I think it's like the perfect home. I don't think you could do it any other way and have a, have a system where everyone can build on because we're not just going to do 3D printing. We'll start with 3D printing, but just like Amazon started with books, CNC, Waterjet, infinite amount of manufacturing capabilities democratized to the world. And I don't think there's any better way to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. It makes sense. This idea of IP is one that is circulating across the sphere. I think this, this is one of those things that NFTs are able to solve in an amazing way. And everyone is still so focused on monkey picture price go up that they're not sitting around actually thinking about the implications of kind of immutable records of proof creation at the end of the day. I think it's going to be an interesting age for people who are creatives to get paid and more importantly, get their designs out there in a way that was just never, never accessible before. So look, I think at the end of the day, John, it's still early stages. Do you have any sense for how you're going to think about actually incentivizing the printers themselves? Is it some sort of a model whereby, you know, you buy a printer and it's affiliated with the three DOS network and then there's an upfront token supply. Is it more of a, anyone can join the network and get paid for usage type of models. When you think about like the structuring of the incentives themselves, what are you really trying to reward? So very good question. And, and some of those were running experiments to understand the precise mathematical model where we understand how to incentivize people to come to the network, you know, two sides of it. We can incentivize people to add their printers to the network and there's no demand, right? So that's a problem, right? So right now we look at 3D printer OS, we actually have a very balanced system. We have 12 million CAD files to 200,000 users to 70,000 printers in 120 countries, right? So we want to scale that up in the right way. So we also want to incentivize valuable things. So if you're just uploading junk all day and people don't buy it, the system should know, you know, uh, Connor, you're not going to be at the top of the iPhone case listing, right? And Mahesh, if you're a manufacturer and you constantly miss on time to quality with production, you're not going to get the right token incentives as well. So this is something that we're modeling very thoroughly because we see in total, if you do it correctly, this should look something like NASDAQ, you know, it's going to have some bumps. But since, you know, it's, you know, or the SFP, since there's physical products behind it, it should all grow together because each, yeah, essentially every NFT is like a, a company, right? Represents a company. And the total, the total token representation of 3DOS represents the whole, you know, SMP, NASDAQ, whatever you want to call it. And so since it's backed by physical product goods and services, I think this can be something that blockchain really hasn't seen before because most blockchain products are based on US dollars right? They're not based directly one-to-one with the, the assets under dollars. So I think there's, we're learning, we're, we're, we're developing that with some great mathematicians and scientists working on those models and running some of these alpha beta programs. We're, we're going to figure out exactly what's a healthy way to incentivize people and the perfect number. So stay tuned, stay tuned for that. Said differently, currencies always historically are backed by either hard commodities or hard work. When you think about the US dollar, it's backed by our roads, it's backed by our people, it's backed by our taxes. I think you make an interesting point, which is that a lot of crypto is just for money. And the really interesting proposition here is the real economy of what you're building. And that is why value will continue to accrue to the token 
put together and why overall the moat becomes the network itself. As more printers get added, as more jobs get processed and used, the entire thing gets infinitely more valuable. So look, John, with that, this has been a really amazing episode. It's been awesome to talk to you across all of these points. Would you want to leave our listeners with just a couple of takeaways on maybe where they can find you on socials? And if they want to start getting plugged into the network and being helpful in any sort of way, how could they participate? Yeah, so you can always contact me at my email, which is john at 3dos.io, socials, john, J-O-H-N, D-O-G-R-U on Twitter. And we're looking for people that believe in the vision and want to contribute. You know, that's, that's not just developers, that's just people interested in, that's all kinds of people, marketing people. Number one is we're looking for people interested in believing the vision. And what's amazing to me is we've got some large manufacturers, some big aerospace companies, and we've got the TikTok users of the world. So, you know, we're looking at all of the above. I mean, this is not just going to be my effort. It's going to be a community effort to build and, you know, kind of become the dominant platform. And uh, so, yeah, you can send me an email. You can hit me up on Twitter and we'll have more social media coming soon. Awesome. That's really helpful. John, thank you so much for the time here. This has been an amazing episode. We really enjoyed sort of understanding the landscape of 3D printing, as well as, you know, this decentralized manufacturing network idea, which could be really, really big at the end of the day. And we're looking forward to continuing to see you grow this over the next couple of years and wishing you all the best of luck along the way. So thank you so much for the time, John. And uh, with that, it's been another great episode.